Federico Fuentes, thanks for joining us today. Having been delayed three times, at least in part due to the global pandemic, the Bolivian presidential elections are due to be held late this week. The interim and illegitimate president, Janine Añez, and we'll come on in a moment to why her brief time in office has indeed been illegitimate, stood down just weeks out from the poll as the candidate, although she remains the interim president, citing the need to unite behind opposition to the Movement for Socialism's candidate, Louise Arce. Let's start with your analysis of the presidential poll itself. Who is likely to win? And perhaps more importantly, will the election, in your view, be a free and fair one? Uh, Firstly, uh, thank you for having me on the program, Alex. Um, Look, in terms of the upcoming elections and the likely results, it's, of course, very difficult to be able to read. And that's for a couple of reasons. The first one is because of the nature of the polls uh, that are being carried out in Bolivia. Now, the polls in general, although obviously each of them vary slightly, but tend to indicate that the movement towards socialism candidate, uh, Luis Arce, uh, the party that former President Eva Morales uh, belongs to uh, is, is leading the polls. So on that question, there's, there's no doubt. Um, where, where the doubt comes in is that the, the way that the Bolivian electoral uh, presidential elections uh, occur is that in order to win in the first round at least, a candidate must obtain 50%, of which no, no poll is indicating that Luis Arce has that kind of majority. Uh, or alternatively, to be able to defeat uh, the, the, the second candidate. Uh, by a margin of, of 10%. Now, what, what we are seeing is that most of the polls are indicating that, that Luis Arce is probably in the high 30s, early 40s, and is somewhere between 8 to 10% against his, his most clearest rival, uh, Carlos Mesa, um, uh, uh, also a, a former president. Uh, so there's no, there's no, it's not clear what what will happen. Uh, what we do know is going to be very close elections. We do know that the polls don't generally reflect accurately what's occurring in Bolivia because the movements towards socialism support base tends to be in the rural areas, areas that are not counted or, or certainly not generally polled in, in these polls that, that are occurring. Um, but we do know that the, the movement towards socialism is coming first. And we do know that there will be a battle to see whether they can win in the first round or not. And that, that, that in large part explains, to a certain extent, why, why Ginny Onyes has, has stepped down as a candidate. Um, what, we, what we will see certainly between now and, and, and the elections on the 17th will be a, a, a battle amongst the opposition candidates to see who will basically withdraw uh, as as the date approaches and as the numbers come closer and closer to basically try to push forward a, a question of ensuring that the, the movement towards socialism and the mass party don't win in the first elections with the hope that they can then, in the second round, mobilise the entirety of the anti-mass vote to defeat the, the uh, Louis Hardison. And with Anyez stepping down as the candidate, is there a particular establishment candidate that is backed by essentially the Bolivian ruling class and indeed the Trump administration as well with of course the American empire very much being in the shadows here if not in the foreground. Is there a particular candidate that they are backing uh, Mesa or is it somebody else or is it simply that they uh, want to see the the Musk candidate defeated? I I, I think for now what you have is two things at play. The first is that any any candidate apart from apart from Arce is a preferred candidate so I don't think there's a an absolute candidate that the that the 
uh, US government or that the Bolivian opposition want. What they do want to see is, is someone that can defeat uh, Arce, and that's why we see Anya step down in order to try to see if they can conjure enough of a vote in the first round. There is another element of play that is important to, to analyse because um, Anya's her stepping down is, is too late in the game to actually not appear on the ballot paper. So she'll still appear on the ballot paper. And it's not at all clear that there's been a big shift as a result of her stepping down because she, her popularity was already declining anyway. So many suspect that really her stepping down and the fact that she hasn't actually advocated a vote for any particular opposition candidate, rather just said, let's make sure we defeat the mass would tend to indicate that what they are seeking here, or at least what Anya's and her her cabinet are seeking, is possibly some kind of immunity deals um, it, were they to whoever comes into government next. Because, you know, it cannot be forgotten that the Anya's interim regime has basically presided over the, the deaths of dozens of protesters that have been killed uh, due to police and military repression of protests and many other questionable illegal actions, including acts of, of corruption that have occurred uh, during this, getting close to now 12 months that um, they've been in power. Let's go back a step to the events of late last year. The upcoming presidential election is in fact a rerun of the poll held on the 20th of October 2019. In the immediate wake of that election, allegations of voter fraud emerged, backed in large part by the Organisation of American States, with the suggestion being that long-term President Evo Morales had manipulated the results in order to avoid a second round runoff and win the first round of voting outright. Mass protests occurred in the weeks following. Dozens of Morales supporters were killed by security forces, as you mentioned. And eventually, on the 10th of November, Morales was forced into exile, fleeing first to Mexico and later to Argentina, with the aforementioned Senator Añez assuming the office of the presidency. Explain to our listeners what was really behind these developments. How legitimate were the fraud allegations and who stood to benefit from them? Uh, So I I think there's, again, a couple of elements to take into consideration because leading up to last year's elections wasn't just the question of fraud, but was also the question of whether Eva Morales himself was allowed to stand. Uh, Under the Constitution, as as it was, uh, as it is, um, his his two-term mandates were up to completion, and so he was not allowed to stand in there. In fact, the movement towards socialism had actually carried out a referendum to try to change the constitution to allow uh, indefinite re-election, that is, the ability for a candidate to continually stand for, for re-election and be voted back in, into their post. Now, that, that referendum was defeated. However, the the, the, the constitutional court ruled that there was two contradictory articles in the Constitution, one obviously being the limit on, on terms, and the other one being that Bolivia had to subscribe to international agreements on human rights. Uh, and amongst those was the Inter-American uh, Charter of Human Rights, which said that any candidate should have the ability to stand for any elections. And so this was seen as limiting the ability of an individual to be able to stand for an election. Of course, this, this was hotly disputed, but this, this is what paved the way for Eva Morales to be able to run. So already the elections were controversial from, from that viewpoint. That said, unlike, for instance, in Venezuela, the opposition decided they would participate in these elections despite these criticisms and would try to, to win the vote. Then we come to the question of the actual vote itself. Now, there's been a lot of allegations and a lot of different positions that have been put forward 
whether it be by the Organization of American States, by other electoral observers, by other academics who observe the votes. But it's important to note that most of the allegations about that have questioned the vote have not so much questioned the actual vote itself, uh, but what they've questioned is, is, is basically a sort of an early tally, electronic tally vote, um, where the system, the servers that were running those uh, were shut down or went offline, obviously depending on who you believe, uh, and didn't reappear until the following day and had shown a change in the trajectory of the vote. Of course, the early tally vote is not an actual vote count, so in and of itself it would not have determined the result. But a lot of the focus has been on that uh, in, and rather than focusing on the actual vote. It also has avoided or you know, left out of this whole discussion the fact that Eva Morales, having given all this um, controversy surrounding the vote, had said that he was firstly willing to have the Eva, depending on what the opposition wanted, go to a second round or just rerun the elections, and then even suggested that should new elections happen, that he would not be willing to run. But this comes to the second part of your question, who was, who was benefiting from all this? Of course, it was those who wanted to get rid of the movement towards socialism, a party who had essentially won pretty much every election since 2005, uh, who had begun to change the course of, of Bolivian politics, had moved Bolivia away from a close reliance on the US and away from a neoliberal policy towards regaining control of its, its natural resources. And these were exactly the political forces that thought this was the opportune time uh, to remove the movement towards socialism from power. And what's more, having then installed an interim government, used its power uh, as an interim government to basically, without any kind of electoral mandate, reverse a lot of the very popular policies of the movement towards socialism. And that's what we've seen essentially occur in the last year. Um, we've seen uh, policies towards opening up the national resources for exploration for foreign companies. In fact, we've just in the last month, we've seen three ministers resign from the government um, uh, opposing an unconstitutional attempt to privatise an electricity company that was nationalised under the Morales government. So what, what we're seeing is that really what, what the, the opposition was hoping to do was use a, a, a confusing and controversial moment in Bolivian politics to firstly remove the mask and then having installed an, an illegitimate government, reverse policies uh, that would, of course, not be popular amongst the electorate, uh, but were certainly popular amongst the, 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 the ruling elites or amongst the, the economic elites in Bolivia in order to benefit them. So that by the time the elections came around, um, and it should be mentioned, these elections are only coming around now because of popular protests that forced the National Assembly uh, to pass a, a motion saying that this was the deadline for when elections must happen. Uh, otherwise, I think it's questionable whether these elections would even be happening now because certainly there would be interest from the Anya's government to have pushed the deadline even further so they could get away with more un unpopular and undemocratic policies uh, impl being implemented before actually having to go to the ballot box. You mentioned some of the commercial interests that stand to benefit from the removal of Morales from office and indeed some commentators have referred to late last year's events as the lithium coup with lithium being one of the major natural resources that Bolivia has in its possession that is now seeking to be exploited by foreign companies. What's your take on that Federico Fuentes? How important was the role of lithium and the exploitation of that resource in terms of the economic backdrop to the coup? Yeah, look, I, 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 on the one hand, I, I don't want to um, downplay the role 
uh, of foreign companies wanting to get access to natural resources in Bolivia. I, I think that absolutely was a factor. But I think it's perhaps too crude, or it's certainly been um, sort of the way it's been put forward. Is it's very crude to put this down as some kind of lithium coup. And I'd say that for two reasons. Firstly, because whilst the Bolivian government has been uh, taken a firm position in, in regaining or recuperating control over natural resources, it, it's done so on the basis not of excluding multinationals or transnationals, but rather of uh, renegotiating better deal for Bolivia. Uh, so when it came to, for instance, the gas, uh, it wasn't a, a question of uh, kicking out or expropriating uh, foreign gas companies, but rather saying, look, the rules have changed. Uh, we now, as a Bolivian state, own the gas, and we will dictate what you can do or can't do with our gas. Uh, that didn't mean that the foreign transnationals couldn't continue to operate in Bolivia. It didn't mean that they didn't continue to make profit, although obviously much less given the tax regime changed. And that was similar with the lithium. I mean, the, the Evo Morales government had already done uh, or was in the process of negotiating deals with German transnationals uh, in terms of control of, of the lithium. So. It's, it's an exaggeration to sort of, on the one hand, say that the Morales government was going to absolutely take control of lithium or to say that it was just foreign transnationals wanting to get control of lithium that was behind the coup. I really think what was fundamentally behind it and what is often left out in the analysis of what the movement towards socialism represented in Bolivia was that the movement towards socialism represented a, a, a movement rooted in that came from uh, the indigenous and campesino classes in Bolivia uh, spread out to win support amongst the working class and even reached out into the middle class sectors of Bolivia. Through that process, was able to obtain political power to kick out the political elites who had for so, so many decades, if not centuries, basically run the country and said, look, Bolivia is going to be run a bit different now. Like now you've got to accept that the vast majority that you've excluded from politics, considering the fact that the indigenous population represents the majority of Bolivia's population, but have always been excluded from politics, now have a rightful seat, not just not just a rightful seat at the table, but a, a leadership seat at the table. They were at the head of the table. And this was just too much for the old political elites. It was too much for, for the other companies. Of course, they would, in, in, as in many cases, willing to cut a deal in order to make a bit less money, but still make money. But ultimately, what they wanted to do was to, to get rid of this political movement. And we've seen that through the fact that not only did they have to use essentially a coup at the end of last year to get rid of the Morales government, but have tried to use the, the, the following months to do everything from attempting to prescribe the MAS party from even being able to stand in this election, from arresting a number of its party leaders, from forcing Evo Morales into exile, uh, from using, and this goes back to the, your, your initial question about is this a free and fair elections, from using, you know, literally using armed power, paramilitary groups on the streets to attack and break up uh, pro-mass uh, election campaign uh, rallies. So, yeah, no, of course, in, in, in any general sense of the term, the, these aren't going to be free and fair elections. And the, and the saddest bit about it is we already have a, a organization of American state observers there in Bolivia, the same ones who... We, you know, whose report was used to denounce fraud, saying absolutely nothing about this, the street violence that's been carried out by armed thugs um, around Bolivia against movements towards socialism and campaigners. Uh, but this, this is what is happening, and this is what they will never forgive 
Evo Morales, the movement towards socialism, Luis Arce, all of these, you know, these people, these social movements, this idea that the indigenous people should just be, as I said, equals or, or, or the fact that they are the majority should be just actually accepted for the fact that they are the majority in Bolivian society today. Finally, Federico Fuentes, the Morales administration was seen as one pillar in a wider edifice of what some political analysts have called a pink tide across Latin America, led by the government of the late Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, but also encompassing President Rafael Correa in Ecuador, as well as other left-wing leaders, candidates, parties and movements throughout the continent. It seems that pink tide, the era of socially progressive reforms in South America, is now decisively at an end. How do you view what has transpired in the last few years? Yeah, look, I, I think it, to start, it, it depends on how you define the pink tide. Uh, if, if we are just going to look specifically as a pink tide, as the period that occurred essentially from the first election of Hugo Chavez in '98. Uh, who was really pretty much the first of these left center left presidents to to come to power um, through to about the mid uh, or or late you know essentially about to twenty ten where you by the end of that decade you had left center left governments all all around the continent uh, I think that period is definitely over i mean Firstly, because a lot of those governments are no longer in power, whether that be because they lost elections, whether that be because they were removed by undemocratic coups. There's a whole variety of, of explanations for why those gov- governments aren't in power. But I think that's only looking at it in, in a superficial sense. Now, I think all of these governments in, in South America um, or South and Central America uh, can really be explained by the, the, the sort of years of political protests that were building up prior to their election and without understanding that sort of social struggle that was occurring against neoliberal governments in the 90s it's impossible to really understand how these governments came about what we are seeing and Bolivia is a classic example of that is that even though the movement towards socialism is not in government today it was removed from power um, Call it coup, call it fraud. What you know? As I've said, I, I don't think it was a question of fraud. I think what we're seeing in Bolivia was a coup. But what what is it? Reality today is that the movement towards socialism is not in power. And yet, as I've also said, the polls are indicating that a the movement towards socialism is the leading party. B uh, it's possible that they may even win outright in the first elections uh, under the current Bolivian uh, laws. And C that these elections are only happening because of the powerful mobilizations of those very same social movements that were built up over the 90s and existed under the movement towards socialism government that has forced this interim government to have to go ahead with elections, having been now two or three times that they've de- delayed these, and I'm sure that they would prefer to delay them again because the polls are not in their favor. So in that sense, yes, the pink tide as a series or conglomerate of left governments in Latin America and South America specifically has gone, but the, the, the social struggle has not been defeated. And, and what we've seen is, that, is actual change of the political table or the, um, the political landscape in Latin America where the left, having been largely marginalised, um, defeated by military coups uh, from the 70s and 80s, uh, just a small, a small representation on, in, in, in Parliament. It today, is in, if, if not in government, is certainly at the very minimum the main opposition parties, and that still remains 
true whether we talk about Bolivia, whether we talk about Uruguay, whether Frente Amplio has lost power, uh, whether we talk about well Venezuela, obviously the, the Maduro government remains in power, whether we talk about the Workers' Party in Brazil. Politics has now shifted so that these parties that may no longer be in power are still at the very minimum the, 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 main, or, the main opposition party. So I think, yes, I think it's probably fair to say the pink tide as it existed uh, 10 years ago is, is over. But, but the idea that the, the sort of the period of left political struggle is over, I think is, is certainly not the case. And, and the defeats that have been inflicted so far have not been, been fatal ones. And so we've seen that continued struggle. And we've also at the same time seen the real weakness of the right wing. As I said, the, the right wing in Bolivia have had a year to reorganise, uh, to use state power to try to crush the movement towards socialism, to try to get itself in a position to be able to clearly win these elections. And as of now, certainly they're not going to win the first round uh, and will only possibly uh, be able to defeat the movement towards socialism in the second round by trying as best as it can to unite anyone and everyone that is opposed to the movement towards socialism uh, to try to see if they can get any other candidate to, to defeat Luis Arce.